Our sermon passage this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades The word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. Let us pray as we come before God and his word this morning. God, we give you thanks for your word. Your word that you tell us never returns void. And we pray that it would not return void on our souls this morning, that as we consider these words, we would consider you, and that you would continually transform us and form us and shape us, that Christ would be formed inside of each one of us and in our community. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, As you probably noticed, we come to the end of our time in the book of Philippians this morning. Next week, we get to start our uh, fall series through the book of Ruth, which I'm really excited about. And as I was thinking about uh, this sermon for this week and thinking about the the topic of contentment, I got a a message from a friend of mine who just recently did an amazing upgrade on his espresso machine. If you don't know anything about me, one thing to know is I really like coffee. And um, it's probably why I haven't been sleeping great the last week. I think I've been drinking coffee too late. I'm getting to that age where i got to like find my cutoff point for coffee. But I digress. The, he sent me the picture of this brand new espresso machine, and he's got this brand new grinder. And I was like, oh man, that looks great. Uh, what, tell me about that. And so he's telling me about all the little things that it does and how great it is. And I was like, man, why could, why'd you do this to me on this week when I'm supposed to be preaching on contentment? And then I said, but, you know, send me the links anyways, just so I could, you know, take a little look. Don't worry, Jen, I didn't buy anything. Um, these are very expensive machines. 
you know, at the end of the day, we all know that that thing's not going to bring us fulfillment in life, whatever that thing is. You know, if you just have that better job, the better whatever. We, I think we know that it's not going to make our lives better, but it might, right? And we just think, well, it, it might actually work. It, it might bring me a little bit of, of joy, a little bit of peace. And what is contentment but peace? Shalom. The thing that everyone is searching for in life. And what we find for us is that contentment's an elusive thing, isn't it? It's one of those things that we talk about a lot in the church. But one of the things that makes it elusive, I think, is that we actually weren't made to be content with this world. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about this. This idea found in a German word that doesn't have an English translation called sinsucht. And it means inconsolable longing. And when Lewis is speaking about this idea of inconsolable longing that we have, he is speaking about a longing that all humans have for a place that we've never been to. A longing for eternity with God in a world where all things are made new. And it's kind of that, that sixth sense inside of everyone. Not the kind that helps you see dead people. Um, sorry, it was a bad movie reference. I, I shouldn't have done that, David. But, uh, but it tells you, but it's a sixth sense inside of each one of us that tells you that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. We all know that. And part of us was actually never made to be content. And when we struggle with contentment, it's actually because we're trying to find our contentment in things that were never meant to give us that thing. They were never meant to give us peace. For instance, you, you may be trying to find contentment, peace in a place of work. And maybe as you're trying to find peace in work, maybe something bad happens. Maybe they're, they're underpaying you, they're undervaluing you. And so you think to yourself, if I just had that job over there, my life might be better. Then I will be content. And this isn't to say that there aren't reasons to change jobs. But what we find when we chase our peace in our jobs is that you never get it. You get another job. And maybe for a little bit you feel better about your life. And then what happens? Then you get a new boss and you don't like it. And then new things happen. And so what do you do? Well, I'm going to get another new job. And it's this endless search for a perfect job. But you know, Genesis 3 tells us that actually there's no perfect work for us. All our work is going to be burdensome and toilsome no matter what work we do. And it's obviously we don't just look for our peace in our jobs, but we do it with everything. We do it with, you know, if I just lived in a different town, in a different state, if I just had a, a different a, a spouse or maybe a different spouse, then all my problems would go away. And it's because we think contentment is situational. We think if I just changed my situation, I would be at peace. I would be content. Our discontentment, our inconsolable longing can't be fixed by a better situation. Because true contentment, as Paul is trying to teach us this morning, gospel contentment can't be found in the tangible things of everyday life. They can give us illusions of contentment, momentary contentment, but not the kind that lasts for us, not the kind that gives us peace despite circumstances. And in this passage in Philippians, after writing to this church about suffering for the gospel, about humility in the midst of community, about mission in the world, about running the race of life and maturing, he concludes with this simple yet profound encouragement towards contentment. Encouraging them one last time at the end of this letter, set your gaze on the things that are eternal. 
Not on your current circumstances, which will ebb and flow, which come and go, but in the one who is there, who is stable, who is consistent despite circumstances. And as we consider this truth of contentment this morning, there's two things I think that Paul's really going to show us this morning. The first is this, is that contentment is only found in Christ. And second, that contentment is practiced in community. So the first thing we learn about contentment is that it's only found in Christ. Look with me here again at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You know, it's as simple. He's speaking thanks, thankfulness for the church. He's thankful for this body in Philippians. They were concerned for him. And he tells us later that they were one of the only churches that actually supported his ministry, joining him in his work with their gifts, with their finances. Sounds like a, a pretty normal thing to say to someone who gave you something. And then in verse 11, he says something strange. Verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The thing is, Paul clearly had many needs in this moment. He was writing from prison. He needed help. He needed food, sustenance. They were concerned for him for good reason. Because he needed help. How can he say that he has no need? Well, he tells us, right? Because he has learned to be content. That no matter what kind of circumstance he finds himself in, he actually says he has no need. Well, how is how is that even possible? I mean, sure, that sounds good on paper, Paul, but we live in the real world where we have real needs. You know, this word contentment is this thing that we think about a lot, we talk about a lot, but we know we're supposed to be content, to be happy with what we have, but what does this mean for us? Well, verse 12 to 13 kind of illuminate this idea of contentment for us. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says he has learned the true secret to contentment. And it can only be found by finding your sufficiency in Christ. It isn't by his own power that he can achieve this. It isn't by the power, it is by, it's by the power of the one who lives inside of him, Christ. You know, when we, when we consider this in verse 13, you know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's one of the verses that's probably most taken out of context in scripture where we use it to apply it to whatever we're doing. I'm going to run a marathon. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's going to get me to the end. I'm going to do whatever it is that I do. We just kind of slap it on, but it's, our own selfish kind of gain that we're looking for in that. But the secret that he's talking about here in light of that verse is that even if what I do fails, even if this church plant doesn't make it to year two or, or we lose our jobs or we end up in prison like Paul did, he's saying I can endure all things because of the one who is inside of me. It isn't so that I can use the strength of Christ for my own personal gain, but so that I can be content no matter what comes my way because our contentment doesn't rest on us, our circumstances, but on Christ who is never changing. This was something Paul had to learn. Just like he told us earlier about maturing, he's still doing this, he's still learning, still maturing. He's had to test it, right? 
Think about what he was saying in chapter 3 of this book. Whatever gain I have, I count as lost, right? I've had everything. I have been everything I could have ever dreamed to be, and, and I've had nothing. And having Christ is the only thing that can satisfy a longing soul. I think one of the things that's probably striking for all of us as we consider this passage is, is that we usually think of contentment only in terms of when things go bad, we need to be thankful for what we have, right? But he says something interesting here, that we need to depend on Christ in every season. In the highs and the lows, when we have everything and when we have nothing, it's in both of these circumstances that we're called to look to Christ, knowing that Christ is the one who strengthens us, not our present circumstances. Right? These things come and go. Bad days come, bad days go. Good days come, bad days go. Bank accounts swell and bank accounts drain. And if our contentment is dependent on these things, we will actually never know contentment. We'll never know joy. We'll never know peace. Because true contentment can only be found in Christ, who is our rock, who is our refuge, who is our redeemer. It is the only place that our wandering souls find rest. He is the only one that can fulfill our deep longing because he is the one that we are longing for, whether we realize it or not. This is a very different vision of of him who gives us strength. It's a vision of endurance for us. How do we run this race? How do we finish it well? How do we deal with the ebbs and flows of situations? By enduring in Christ, right? The maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things. He is saying to them, listen, you thought I was lacking because I didn't have some things. But I was never lacking because I have Christ. And the gain of knowing Christ is greater than any loss this world can throw at us. He's saying the gain of knowing Christ is greater than any loss this world can throw at us. Which, depending on how your week was or how your day was, that can be hard to hear. We all have loss in this room. Different kinds of loss, but we all have loss. Paul is no stranger to loss either. And he can say this because he has tasted the depths of the riches of Christ. Imagine if we believed this. Imagine if that no matter what valley you're walking through, imagine if you said, because I have Christ, I have everything and can do or anything. How would that change us? I think it would give us profound joy because we don't have to worry about our situations that change. But we can rest sure in the one who is never changing. And so I think the natural question is, how do we actually do this, right? How do we find this thing that Paul is talking about? Well, it's actually the same way that Paul learned it. We have to practice it. And this is the second thing we learn about contentment here. Not only that it's only found in Christ, but it's practiced in community. Contentment is practiced in community. And the, the first thing we learn to practice in community is where he goes here, and it's thanksgiving. Look with me here at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Right? He's, it's kind of this funny back and forth thing that he does in this section, you know, where he's like, I'm, I'm thankful, but I didn't need it. But no, thank you. But no, but really, you didn't need to. But since you did, thank you. It's like, make up your mind, Paul. He's saying, even though I was good without it, 
Thank you for sharing in my trouble. And one of the things we learn in the writings of Paul in, in all of Scripture is that the body of Christ shares each other's struggles and burdens and successes. We are with each other in the highs and lows of life, mourning with each other when we mourn, rejoicing with each other when we rejoice. This thing, right, the, the Christian faith can't be done alone. And the Philippians church, we learned, took this call seriously. One of the only churches that did. And then Paul points out again in 17 for us, right, the, not that I seek this gift, but what does he seek? He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I need this thing. He's, he's saying, but, but there's something greater that I want. Paul's thankful for them and the gift, but he really wants them to know that even if they wouldn't have given them a thing, he would have been okay. And he can say this because his thanksgiving is not rooted in the gift. Not the gift itself, but in, rooted in, in the work that God has done in his life. He's not just telling us to make sure you say thank you to each other. Like we tell our kids, say please and thank you. Mind your P's and Q's, right? There's something deeper and profound. There's a a depth to this. A deeper sense of thanksgiving that can only come when you realize the true giver is God. So easy for us to get focused on the gift. But here he says the greater gift is the fruit that's increased to their credit by their giving, by their generosity. And he is after this increase of fruit, right? The real fruit is not the thing itself, but what it produces inside of you. This is what Paul is after for them. The increasing fruit of the Spirit inside of them. And what does it produce? But here, I think we we learn it produces a profound generosity. Contentment in Christ leads us to be a generous people. It's one of the mark of the Christian church throughout her age has been a generous people. We can't help but give what we have away. Giving in this manner, it says, is even a fragrant offering before God because contentment produces the fruit of generosity inside of us. Because content people, right, don't look to their bank accounts or for wealth. They look to the deeper riches of knowing Christ. And so they don't hold on to the things that they have, but they freely give them away. You know, early on in our, our marriage, uh, I was really bad at giving. Uh, I, I didn't tithe to the, to the church. Um, and part of this is because I thought to myself, well, I don't have that much. We're kind of poor. I remember one time at my parents' house, we were trying to get gas money. So I found these old jars of coins, and you counted them up and figure out how much money we have. And I was like, I'm poor. I don't really have anything to give. So, you know, when I have money, I'll give it then. But that didn't happen. It's probably not a surprise to any of you, right? If we're not generous when we're poor, we're never going to be generous when we're wealthy. Because it's not about the money, right? Just like for Paul, it wasn't about them giving him gifts. It's about something deeper. So someone challenged me actually to step out in faith to give, and we started giving regularly, and it changed our lives. It, and, and as I learned to become more generous, I, re, I wasn't just generous with money, but I was generous with everything, with my things, with my time, with talents, and in this, I actually learned to become more content. Because in this act, in this, in this practice of letting go of the things that I thought would provide true peace and joy and contentment for me, I learned to find the true contentment in Christ. I learned to be content in the one that does not fail us. 
You know, another aspect of this contentment we practice in community is, is joy. And this is a little less explicit in our, in our text, but it actually is one of the central themes that throws, flows through this entire book of Philippians and joy. I mean, Paul does begin this passage talking about rejoicing. But Paul is filled with joy because of the, the Philippian church. How they care. How they love. Not just that they gave him a thing, but that they actually love him. A fruit that comes from contentment is in Christ is, is joy. I think, you know, one indictment on the Western church at large is, is maybe that you've seen this, you've heard this, or maybe you've done this. I think I probably have. But traveling to a third world country, and one of the things you often hear in testimonies and someone returns from traveling to third world countries, like, how, they're surprised at how much joy those people had. Because they had, they had nothing, and yet they were joyful. And you wonder, how could they possibly be joyful when they have nothing? And that shocks us. But this shouldn't surprise us. If we are familiar with Paul, joy flows from those who find their joy in Christ. And if you have Christ, what else do you need? Because as we grow in contentment, we don't need to, more things don't make us happy. We don't need to jostle for positions. We don't need to grow our debt in order to keep up with our neighbors. But we grow at peace in what Christ has already given us. And this fills his people with joy. It marks us with joy. When people walk into a room full of Christians, it should be filled with laughter, right? With love for one another. That's why you guys should laugh at my jokes even when they're bad. This is a mark of the true church. <laughs> well, you guys can't even laugh at that. This is a but all of this together... This, this increase of, of joy, of, of contentment, of, of generosity, it leads us to a hope here. A hope in the day of the resurrection, the forever time. Look with me here at verse 19 through 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Right, as we practice contentment, we grow in our ability to trust in our future forever and ever with God. That is secure in Christ. How can we be sure of this? Well, because of the, the source here. Right? It's the riches of, of Christ, not our own riches. Every need will be supplied for us by Christ, both now and into eternity. And we can trust this because his riches are boundless. Right? Our, our bank accounts have limits. Our credit cards have limits. His are limitless, boundless, endless. And if you are in Christ, all that is his is yours. His righteousness is your righteousness. His inheritance and glory is your inheritance and glory. You have no lack if you have Christ. Even if you have nothing, if you have Christ, you have everything. I think when we think of contentment, when I was thinking about contentment before even studying this passage, I, I used to think that contentment would say, I have enough right now. I don't need anything more. Right? It's just saying you don't need anything more than what you have. But actually what Paul is talking about is something way deeper than that. Gospel contentment says, I have everything in Christ. What more could I need? Right? Gospel contentment has no lack in it. 
It's overflowing with abundance, with riches. It's not miserly. Do we believe this? Or do you still kind of believe that if you just changed a couple things in your life, your life would be better? And again, that isn't to say that jobs need to change sometimes. Sometimes people need to move. But if we think our life will be better when we do those things, you will learn the hard way that that is just not true. I think oftentimes, if any of you are like me, we often say, I believe it, but let me just do this one quick thing over here real quick, and then I promise I'll just get this new espresso machine and grinder, um, not a big deal, and then I promise I won't ever buy a single thing. Promise. Scout's honor. But we know it doesn't work, but we convince ourselves that that that's true, don't we? Our problem is still that we, we think situations can fix us. The problem is that we are self-sufficient. And so we try to fix our discontentment with the things of this world. But Paul is saying, listen, even if I never get out of prison, even if I die here, which he does end up dying in Rome, he's saying, I have no need. Even in death, I have no need from this world. Because saying, even if I die, I have no lack. Because these things are not the barometer of his success, of his peace. It's a worldly barometer, but not ours. He's saying... My life is already as good as it can get because I have Christ. Because of the surpassing riches that he has in, in Jesus, and which requires a heart orientation. What we read in Corinthians, it, re, it requires to be, be new creatures, new creation inside of us by the power of God. If we don't trust that the riches of Christ are as profound as Paul does, we will never be content with him. So we actually have to believe in the riches of Christ. So let me remind you of something that Paul says to the, to the Corinthian church about Jesus. He says to them, he who was rich became poor that we might become rich. Which means that Jesus stepped out of the riches, the throne room of heaven, was born of a virgin. Right? He had his diapers changed. He walked in dirt and dust. He became poor as he became a man in the flesh, even to the point of tasting death on the cross. But he endured all that, entering into the place of death so that his children would never have to, not like that. And as he rises to new life and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty right now, he has laid claim to your inheritance. It is sure, it is finished, it is done. This is our hope. And it is a sure Hope. This is the, f- the future fruit of our faith and reliance on Christ. This is the end of contentment, everlasting life, the glory of God forever and ever. And this is the vision that will help us endure, to learn, to train ourselves in these things from day to day. But we can only endure because of him who endured before us. And not just before us, but endured on our behalf. Let us lean and trust on his strength. May we find our hope firmly in the person and work in Jesus. May we put away any vain glory we have of our own status so that whatever we have, whether it's a lot or a little, we know that if we have Christ, we have everything. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, the owner of cattle on thousands of hills, we come before you knowing that all things are yours, 
When we put our hope in the things of this world, forgive us. Turn our hearts to you and the riches that we have in Christ, which are more profound, more beautiful, more sure than anything we can muster with our bank accounts, with our houses, with our cars. Help us to believe that this is true, that having you is greater than anything else that this world could offer. And as we learn to trust and lean on that truth, may that be a light in the darkness so that others pursuing the vain glories that come from this world would see the deeper, true glory that comes only from you. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.